A successful marriage takes a lot. It, it takes cooperation and patience, realistic expectations, some give and take. It takes work. And Greg Smalley is three decades into his marriage to his wife, Erin. And even though he serves as the vice president of marriage for Focus on the Family, he'll be the first to tell you he still has plenty to learn. Today, we are revisiting a conversation with Greg from earlier this year. So, Greg, you serve as the Focus on the Family Vice President of Marriage. That's kind of a cool title. <laughs> so, it's a, it's a cool title, but it does put a little pressure on uh, on my my thirty year marriage. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. So, what does the Vice President of Marriage for Focus on the Family do? The biggest things that we're trying to do is we, we want to help couples really honor their marriage. I love the verse that in Hebrews, marriage should be honored by all. Hmm. And so how do we help couples honor their marriage? And, and we believe what that looks like is that you you keep growing closer to the Lord. So first and foremost, he has to be our cornerstone of yeah. our marriage. And then we, we do things proactively to keep our marriage strong, but then we um, invest in other couples. Hmm. And so, I, you know, it's great if, if my marriage is growing, that's wonderful. But boy, if, you know, I, I always think about the, the Dead Sea, you know, the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, hmm. but nothing flows out. Hmm. And, and I don't believe that that's what God desires right. for our lives, for our marriage. I mean, he want, he blesses us that Jordan River flowing in, but we've got to be pouring out. So that's why I think honoring marriage is not only drawing close to him and keeping your marriage strong, but it's investing in the lives of other couples. So really that's the essence of what we're trying to do. So we create content and events and resources and podcasts and you name it to, to kind of help couples accomplish those three things. Something that hit me a number of years ago, when we first come to know Christ, you know, we dive into the word and we're Bible studies, we're reading books, we're going to church service and we're growing, right? Yeah. And then we kind of hit a plateau. We and we're like, man, we're not going, we're not moving forward like, like we did before. And so we go, well, I need to read another book. I need to go do another Bible study. And but one of the things I've I've realized over time was there comes a point in your spiritual journey when is you've got to shift from getting to giving. And so that pathway forward stops being from getting, and that point becomes giving. And I'm hearing you say that same thing about marriage. Like, yeah, you take in your marriage, but at some point, like your marriage needs to be a blessing to others. You're able to see yourself move forward in your own marriage. Yeah, absolutely. I love that verse in 2 Corinthians that says, because God has comforted us, we should then comfort others. Yes. And, and again, that certainly can apply to marriage in in Aaron and I have been the beneficiaries of that over the years. I remember one of my favorite examples of how couples have poured into to our marriage when I was getting my doctorate and you know that that was stressful enough, but we had a three month old mm -hmm. Aaron was working full time as a labor and delivery nurse. I mean we just had a lot going on, yeah, very disconnected, very exhausted, and worn out and a, a couple must have looked at us at church. And, and kind of went, they don't look like they're doing well. Mm. And we get a knock on our little apartment door. I'm looking at this older couple going, can I help you? And the guy kind of holds out 
this $20 bill. And all he says to me is, we're here for your daughter, Taylor. Like in such a way (laughs) that my first thought was, did my wife just sell our daughter for $20? I felt like I could get a better deal if that was the goal. But honestly, what, what this couple started doing, seriously, every week, they would ride their bikes over to our little apartment in Southern California. I was at Biola University and they would hand us a $20 bill. They would Mm. watch our daughter Taylor. And then Aaron and I would go on a date. And so we would talk and connect. We'd play and have fun. And I'm telling you, 30 years now, looking back, they're an important part of our love story. I don't think we'd be where we're at today if they hadn't made that investment. So that I, I think that's the power of going, how can can we use our marriage, like you said, to bless others? Greg, so talk to us about when you're, this passion in you for helping build healthy marriages begin. Like, I mean, you could have done a lot of things with your life. You've chosen to invest it in marriages. Where'd that come from? Yeah. So I grew up in the home of a guy named Gary Smalley, who some will remember his name. Yeah. He went to be with the Lord about six years ago, mm-hmm. but he was really the the first kind of marriage guru in doing teaching conferences and writing books and growing up in this home of his to where I'd get to go and watch him speak at events and people would come up and, you know, thank us as kids going, thanks for sharing your daddy saved our marriage. And, you know, as a young person, that didn't quite make sense. I'm like, what is he doing? Like he lectures at me for free. Like I don't like I don't even want to hear that. Like what, what is he what is he saying to these people? It's so helpful. And, and actually, I mean, he never put pressure. I mean, I, I was I wanted to be a lawyer. I, I was headed to law school, and just God got me. And I ended up at Denver Seminary, and, and ended up in their counseling program, and loved it. And said, man, I want to do this for the rest of my life. You know, he had already opened so many doors. And so I got to walk through a lot of those because of him. And, but here I am at focus on the family, mm-hmm. you know, get to get to run and give leadership to their marriage department here and, and just absolutely love it and get to work with my wife. She's now, she was a nurse for a number of years, but now she has her counseling degree and we get to speak and write and do content together and podcasts and uh-huh. it's so much fun getting to do that with her. You know, Greg, we hear a lot of things about the state of marriages today. Plenty of it feels on the negative side. You're very much on the ground in gauging people in marriage specifically. What do you see in marriages? What's interesting, you know, COVID for all of us impacted us in a variety of ways. The way that I saw that COVID impacted marriage I think it shined a spotlight on all of our marriages Mm. and it revealed things that we just have been really good at ignoring, burying. The value was that it made probably all of us face some things that we just had been ignoring. And I know that was true for, for Aaron and I. We actually did telehealth, so video counseling with a great marriage counselor for our marriage. Because mm. we just realized, you know what, this issue, we, we just haven't been dealing with, let's deal with it now. And so I think for a lot of couples, it, it allowed them to draw closer to deal with some issues. Other couples decided, I don't want to spend my life dealing with this stuff that we haven't dealt with. And unfortunately, they made a different choice. But mm. I think the good news is that I think a lot of marriages that face that those issues are stronger now. We all caught that being quarantined and together and the benefits of slowing down. And I think 
couples, families, people are more busy now than ever. You you hear terms like makeup travel. And so I just hear a lot of parents going, I'm going to let my kids do, you know, two and three and four and five things. Maybe before COVID, it was only one thing. And I know Aaron and I have faced that. On one hand, for a lot of couples, healthier, I think more busy now, and you're starting to see the impact. I think that busyness just creates a, a drift to where we get involved in all this other stuff and we start to miss each other. Two things. One, we see a lot of worn out individuals inside of a marriage. And then relationally, they're pretty disconnected because I hear a lot of couples going, I love her. I love him committed, but man, I just feel like we're married roommates. Mm. And so that phrase married roommates, we just hear that a lot. Mm. And it's unfortunate. I get it. Again, we're busy as well. But boy, if we're not being intentional in some important ways, it's easy to keep drifting and loneliness sets in and it's not a good thing. Greg, my wife and I co-host a premarital class three times a year in our church. And and a a statement I make on one of the weeks and I try to really drive home is that which we did instinctively before marriage, we have to do intentionally after marriage, right? Oh, I'm stealing that phrase. (laughs) That's a great way to look at it. You're absolutely right. When I talk to couples around, let's say, communication, Mm -hmm. here's, I think, the reality is that it takes so much for us to run a family, run a marriage, manage all that, that it requires an unbelievable amount of communication back and forth, like between Aaron and I, who's picking the kids up here and who's taking them there and who's going to the store and who's paying bills, you know, just the, kind of that administrative requirements, just run a family that that's got to happen. But the problem is that that sort of communication monopolizes most marriages to where what they they miss out on is the spending time really exploring the inner life. You know, how how are you feeling? What are you stressed out about? What are you dreaming about? What's God doing in your life? Those are the conversations that will never happen. The, all the other stuff, you know, who's doing what, you know, the tasks that that those conversations will naturally happen because we have to, just to manage. And yet, if we're not being, like you were saying, intentional about carving out a little bit of time, even every day, just to check in, hey, what was the higher of your day? What was the, the low of your day? You know, that'll never happen. And then what happens is we lose sight of each other. And, and that's when we feel like we are married to a stranger because yeah. we're always changing. Yeah. And if we're not being intentional to keep current and you remember the old rock group journey. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they had a great song called Faithfully. And in that, I think is one of the best marriage lines. It says that I get the joy of rediscovering you. Mm. And and boy, what if that was our one of our mottos in pursuits inside of our marriage is that I get the joy of rediscovering you. In other words, I'm going to take time just to update. How are you doing? What's going on? Like what's different now than maybe even yesterday or last week? You know, Greg, I think pretty much all of us unconsciously think marriage is dating on steroids, right? So we had all these experiences of just the two of us, we're talking, we're dating, we're spending inordinate amount of time and focus on each other. And then we're going to get married. It's going to be more focused on each other. It's like, no, actually it's less because you were sprinting relationally in dating, spending way too much time and money and attention on each other. But now we flip it 
and now we're in the marriage in the routine and all of a sudden you start we start spending far too little time on the relationship and the the intimacy between each other and then add in kids you know add in obviously jobs yes i've told my kids because i want them to get this and understand this and we tell our kids listen our marriage is the sun you are the planets. Mm. You orbit us. Mm. We don't orbit you. This is yeah. not a child-centric Love home. Love it. Which means that we're going to take time away from you. We're going to take time mm. apart from you. We love you. Like when our kids were little, we, you know, inevitably you've got the the battles around, you know, one more thing. I actually, my middle daughter, her name's Murphy. She was so clever. She'd get out of bed. She'd you know give you those big O puss in boot, you know, eyes <laughs> and go, daddy, would you just pray with me one more time? <laughs> How do you say no to that? Awesome. But what I would say is, I, honey, I will pray with you one more time. But because you're taking away, you're stealing time now away from me and your mom, that you're going to give me that same time tomorrow by doing a chore or sitting in time out. <laughs> and, and they learn, seriously, they learn That's very awesome. quickly because otherwise it just won't happen unless we take advantage, recognize there's moments in our day that are sacred. Mm. We have 1,440 minutes every day. Not all those minutes are sacred as far as strengthening in our marriage, but there are times like right before bed, that that's a sacred moment. Hmm. We get to choose how we're going to use that. Are we going to sit on our phones or are we going to take 10 minutes and, Hey, what was the high of your day and the low of your day? Hmm. Can I, uh, let, let's pray together. Hmm. That stuff doesn't happen on its own. Yeah. We're all good at just letting routine unfold as yeah. you were talking about. Yeah. And we end up feeling disconnected and like roommates. Greg, one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about today was expectations in marriage, right? So it's a big impact. First of all, define expectation. When we're talking about expectations in marriage, what do we mean? Yeah, I, I, I love James 4.1 says, what causes fights or quarrels amongst you? Mm. Is it not the desires uh, that wage war within you? Yes. Within a marriage, part of that desire is things that I hope will happen. For example, I mean, just a, a stupid expectation is, is that my, my wife will, will not keep the lights on. Well, she she <laughs> loves to have literally every light on. If if it's a lamp, if it's a I don't care what it is, she loves it creates a mood mm. for her. I always tell her it creates a mood in me. That's angry <laughs> frustration. <laughs> so if that's what you were going for for me, well, well done. But but it it's again, we all have those little simple things that we expect will happen. I think and desire and want people to turn off lights. Now that can, that's a simple, easy one. I mean, it can be, you know, that, that my expectation is that you're going to do, you know, you know, the work inside. If I'm doing outside, you're doing inside. It can be, you know, that we're going to discuss things before we spend, you know, certain level of, of money. Yeah. The difference between a request and a demand is a request knows an acceptable option. Mm-hmm. A demand is when I want it to unfold this way. Period. And there's really no other way. Under the guise of a lot of our expectations, really what they are, the, these are demands. And the problem is, I think with expectations, two things. One, they're unspoken, most of them. Maybe we're not even aware of them. 
So if I'm not saying it, then I don't know it. She doesn't know it. But then the other problem is that often they're unrealistic. There's something about what I hope will happen that probably my wife wouldn't agree to that anyway, but I'm still expecting that it'll happen. Greg, we've been talking about expectations in marriage and how not only is it important that we communicate them, but but also that they be realistic, right? So we might want something, but if it's not something that our spouse is wired to do, having that expectation could be just setting ourselves up for disappointment, right? So how do we avoid that kind of disappointment? Funny example. So please don't judge me. When I was growing up, my mom was a morning person. So she was always up early. And when I got up, magically, there was always this really nice, warm, hot breakfast, eggs, bacon, that kind of stuff. I just thought that's what wives did to show love to their family. Like, But when we got married, Aaron is not a morning person. (laughs) And in my mind, I was like, like, if I had done something, if I offended her, like, why is she not making me breakfast? I had no idea that that was my expectations Mm -hmm. because that's ridiculous. I mean, now as I say it out loud, I'm like, seriously, I'm not misogynistic. (laughs) I mean, I just, but that's what happened in my family growing up. And so I asked her, are we okay? Are you mad at me? And she went, we're good. Why why are you asking that? And I said, you haven't made breakfast at all in the morning. And all I said was, well, my mom, and I got the look of death from her. And in that moment, I realized, man, I had walked straight into what seemed like this was going to be a pretty bad situation. (laughs) My wife has a great sense of humor goes, here's the deal. If you want a hot breakfast in the morning, why don't you light your cornflakes on fire? (laughs) (laughs) She was being playful, but her point was that that's not realistic. And she wasn't willing to agree to getting up and cooking, but she's like, you're an adult. You make breakfast for me. That's how we manage expectations. At some point, we've got to verbalize it. We've got to talk about, hey, when you leave a room, I would like you to turn the light off because then it allows our spouse to decide, is that something that they're willing to do? And actually, Aaron said, hey, knowing that that is meaningful to you, if that's a way that I could show love to you, I will keep that in mind. And when I wake up, I mean, I'll cook breakfast every (laughs) once in a while. That's fine. But we were able to negotiate then what was realistic to where that unrealistic, unspoken expectation became now more realistic between us. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to identify, man, what are those expectations? We negotiated through that and found something that felt good to both of us. That's what we're trying to do with expectations. Greg, as we're talking about expectations in marriage this morning, obviously, like expectations aren't all bad. It's when they're unspoken or they're unrealistic. But let me ask you this. Sometimes you hit something that it's a spoken expectation and it's really reasonable, but your spouse can't execute. (laughs) Even they might even verbalize a willingness to do it, but they just keep not doing it at the end of the day. But it's something that's kind of really rubs you bad. Help us navigate that in those moments that we get to decide, is this a big deal or a little deal? There are things in our marriage that when it's happening, feels like a total loss for us. And that's when we need to be courageous enough to bring that up to our spouse. Man, that's the beauty. We get to give each other grace all the time as God's given us grace. The leaving the lights on. I mean, I'd prefer that Aaron turned them all off like I want them to, but 
if she doesn't do that, I mean, I can give her loads of grace around that. It's not the end of the world. That's a little deal to me. But if that became something that I went, you know, that really feels like a loss for me, then we owe it to our marriage. We owe it to each other to bring that up. We are a team and we've got to figure that out. But we we can't 24-7 deal with every little issue that's coming up. Just that's not realistic. But most of that stuff, it doesn't require a solution. It it really is more about just listening and, and caring. One of the ways I've thought about it over the years is I had to ask myself, is whatever that right agreed upon, but not fulfilled expectation, is that more important than my the health of my marriage? Because at the end of the day, if I keep going after that, with intensity, ever increasing intensity, I'm damaging my marriage. Erin has to matter in our marriage. If her love is to have lights on, like that has to matter. There has to be room for her as well. And that's why it, I want to keep challenging my own expectations to go just because I think it should be that way. Her thought and what she wants, that matters as much as mine do. We'll figure out something that feels good to both of us. And the worst thing we can do is, hey, how I see it is right. As a matter of fact, Philippians 2, 3 talks about vain conceit and selfish ambition is what pride is. That vain conceit means that I think that I'm right. Like I'm excessively proud of how I see see it. I don't want to show up that way. That's not fair to her. But at the end of the day, I mean, we've got to have an attitude that you matter and there's got to be room for both of us inside of our marriage. Well, Greg, this has been a great morning. Thank you for being so vulnerable with us and sharing such great wisdom from your own life and from your ministry with couples. Thanks for letting me share from my heart. So I appreciate that.